This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, we are welcoming Dr. Katayun Kayani to the show. Or as you may know her, Dr. Kat from the Mom and Mind podcast. Dr. Kat is a psychologist, a certified perinatal mental health specialist, and a board member of Postpartum Support International. I have invited Dr. Kat on the show today to unpack matrescence, this developmental stage of becoming a mother, this universal experience that we all go through as we enter into parenthood and motherhood, and unpacking it for you, giving some language to the experience, and discussing some of the tasks that come with adjusting during this time. In this episode, we clearly define what matrescence is. We spend a lot of time discussing our expectations of ourselves and of motherhood, ourselves in this role, versus the reality of what the actual role is, and what happens when there is a gap or a discrepancy in who we are in our motherhood role and who we expected we should be. Shoulds and expectations and ideals play such a big part in how we adjust to and how we feel in our early postpartum and motherhood experience. This is such a necessary and important conversation. I can't wait for you to hear this chat with Dr. Kat. Hey mamas, Erica here. I don't know about you, but I spent my time before baby's arrival prepping things like the nursery and shopping online for clothes and all the baby gear when really what I needed to be preparing for was my adjustment into motherhood or my postpartum experience. What I truly needed was a birth plan for mom. And guess what? I've created the resource I wish I had. A child isn't the only one who needs care and support during the postpartum period. It is so important that we learn to mother the mother, and in this case, for you to learn how to cultivate your own inner mother and nurture yourself in the postpartum period. And the postpartum prep list that I created helps you to do just that. It will help you to think through and prioritize your needs in the postpartum period, as well as educate you on any of the red flags or things to be mindful of in terms of postpartum depression, anxiety, or intrusive thoughts. It is a 20-page substantial resource, and it is completely free. This is something I wish I had and I want all moms to have so they feel empowered and prepared to go into whether it's their first-time birth experience or adding siblings and additional members of their family. This resource is for anyone going through that transition. You can find it at happyasamother.co slash prep list. It's happyasamother.co slash P-R-E-P list. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, 
and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Kat, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I have been a follower of yours for goodness, at least a year now. I know so much of our work aligns and intersects in so many ways. So thank you for taking the time to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Same. I've been following you and all your amazing work and all the reach you have is just phenomenal. I'm so glad you're able to get to people who really need all of that support. Yeah, you specialize in perinatal maternal mental health as well. I see that you sit on the board at Postpartum Support International, an amazing resource that we're always plugging people into. I'm so curious how guests find their way into their specialty. There's always a little (laughs) bit of a story there, right? How did you come to specialize in perinatal mental health? Well, just like many of us, I think in this specialty, we come to it through our own experience. And certainly not everybody has a personal experience, but I did. I was already a psychologist in the field and doing my thing, working at a major hospital and, you know, just went into pregnancy all, you know, excited with the lovely ideas we have about pregnancy and whatnot. And then uh, pregnancy was okay. And looking back on it now, I can see that there was anxiety towards the end of pregnancy Mm -hmm. and certainly right after birth. Absolutely. It hit like a ton of bricks. The anxiety was very prominent early on. And at that time, like many of us do, psychologists or mental health therapists or not, if you don't know, you think that how you're feeling is normal. And this is how parenthood, motherhood, whatever is supposed to be. So for a year, my symptoms gradually got worse and worse and worse. I developed depression as well and postpartum OCD. And it was devastating and like the biggest, most horrible, shame-filled secret of my life to be feeling all of this. And really nobody around me knew, Mm. you know, people could tell my mom for sure could tell like something's not quite right, but I kept it very well under wraps as much as I could and returning to work and all of that. It just snowballed in a really, really big way. And it got pretty dark, Mm -hmm. very, very difficult And in about a year through, you know, I was giving folks, you know, the assessment PHQ-9, a screen for depression. And I was like, you know, I knew something was off, but I didn't really want to admit it to myself. I'm, you know, I'm a therapist. I should be able to handle this. All of that, you know, BS. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All of it was there. And the 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 pressure was pretty huge to just suck it up and do it and, and... you know, do life and figure out how to deal with this. But there was always some part of me that knew that something was wrong and off. And I have my own history of depression in my teens and stuff like that. And it didn't feel like that. It was very different, uh, Mm. a different kind of depression, a different kind of anxiety. And like many of us at the time, this was 11 years ago, there was no training on perinatal mental health. There was like a mention of postpartum depression and that's like a thing and it could happen. And that was about it. Mm -hmm. So I was going in with really no information, Mm -hmm. no good information anyways. So I decided one day to give myself like answer honestly the questions on this depression screen. And I did. And I was like, oh, oops. Like, I'm depressed. Mm -hmm. And it's like right here in black and white. There is no escaping it. What do I do? 
So at that point, I was just trying to read as much as I could and understand as much as I could. And once I figured out what was going on, I was so angry, Mm. just furious that I had never been told or taught or anything. Nobody had ever talked about it directly. I had gone to my daughter's uh, checkups and they gave me a screen at that time. And I lied. I absolutely lied on that screen. Like, I'm not telling anybody that I feel this way. So by the time I had a talk with myself about it, then I really started digging in. And I think in part because I was so angry that nobody had talked about it. And my thought at the time was like, I'm a therapist. And if I didn't know what was going on, how are other people figuring this out? Mm-hmm. Who, like, who else is going through this blindly and feeling horrible and ashamed and all of that? So then and there, I decided to specialize. And that's been my path ever since. Mm-hmm. My experience is very similar. And I share it openly on the podcast where I found myself in this postpartum depression And didn't even know how I got there and didn't know how depressive thoughts became my thoughts and didn't know where I ended and depression began. And as a trained mental health provider, you know, there is this added level of like, I do this for a living. I should Mm -hmm. know this and I should know how to cope with this. And there's all of that shame associated, like, surely this isn't happening to me. Mm -hmm. And similar to you, I look back at my experience and did not know anything about postpartum period being such a high risk time for these things. And I love that this leads into our conversation that we're going to have today on matrescence and reality versus expectation and some of these tasks or this universal experience that so many mothers go through Yeah, for sure. because I too came into motherhood with these expectations of what I thought it was going to be mm-hmm. and who I thought I was going to be as a therapist in that role, who I right. thought I was going to be as a wife in that role, as a mother in that role, all of those things. And when I learned very quickly that that expectation was not even remotely the reality, Mm -hmm. there is this like a gap that we have to reconcile, right? That so many people experience. Right. Yeah. And sometimes it's a massive gap depending on many, many factors, some of them being cultural, some of them being societal, some of them being like very family specific. There are just a plethora of ways in which we are told it's going to be or should be a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just like anything else, our journeys are, are ours and it's not a prescribed path. So when people find out that it's not the most amazing, lovely, mind expanding experience they've ever had, anything less than that can feel like shameful, essentially. Right. Or like we're failing or we're doing it wrong in some way. A hundred percent. Yeah. For those who may not be familiar, why don't we kind of unpack what the term atrescence means? I feel like it's not really widely popular and kind of how we use that word in our work to describe this time and this adjustment. To you, what does matrescence mean? Yeah. To me, it encapsulates a developmental part of our process or transition into motherhood or parenthood, motherhood in terms of matrescence. Mm -hmm. But similar to adolescence, it's a period of time and it can cover many years depending on the person's path, but it really speaks to how we develop through that period of time. Mm -hmm. So 
to that end, just like adolescence, it's a very different path for everybody, depending on a lot of things. But this period of time, and to your point, it had, the term hasn't been popularized as much as it has more recently with some of the work of Alexander Sachs, uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Alexander Sachs. Prior to that, I believe it was a term coined in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. By a psychiatrist or something? Yeah, it's relatively new to everyone and to the field. And yeah, isn't used as widely, but it's certainly that one word covers quite a lot. Right. And whether you specifically remember that word, I can still hardly spell it half the time. It isn't really necessarily the <laughs> the goal of the interview today, right? Right, right. <laughs> the important part being that we're going to hopefully use some language and talk about some things that give words to your lived experience. Because the idea here, just like when we go through adolescence, going through this adjustment into parenthood has some universal things that people experience Mm -hmm. that we face and we adjust to, much like other developmental stages, sort of these developmental tasks during those stages. Mm -hmm. Adjusting to parenthood is no different, right? Right. And one of the things that we're going to heavily focus on today is reconciling our expectations with our reality. This is one of those Mm -hmm. tasks or one of the things that we universally come up against. We all have this ideal or idea, rule book, or way that we think this is going to play out based on, like Mm -hmm. you said, our culture, our family of origin, our, you know, relationships within our own family system or within our own partnerships, all Mm -hmm. of that influence it. And then we get in the role and the reality of parenting often just looks different from what we expect. For sure. That's true at any time. But going through a pandemic just adds all kinds of other layers to it, including more disappointment. So, yeah, it's important to talk about what that all is, even outside of a pandemic. But for sure, this worldwide pandemic has caused a lot of hopes to be dashed. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. people aren't able to have even the stuff that they want and sometimes things that they need during this transition. So that has made it a lot harder. But I digress a little bit. No, it's a really important point because even things that you could safely expect Mm pre-pandemic, you can no longer expect as a pandemic parent. Things like mommy and me groups where you Mm -hmm. build community and village with people. Right. These things that we feel like are sort of deserved as a rite of passage into parenthood are restricted right now. Mm-hmm. And so, so, hard. so sometimes these expectations are not necessarily lofty and things that should be unrealistic, but mm-hmm. they're inaccessible to us in some way, like because of the pandemic currently. Absolutely. I don't know about what you're seeing in your practice, but the demand for support for this specialty specifically is through the roof. I'm full. My colleagues are full. We have wait lists because the stress is that high. Yeah. So, yeah. We are currently in Toronto, back in lockdown. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing it referred to as like the she session. And I hear, have a lot of moms who are just like, what is being asked of me is impossible. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is, like you said, this is beyond now, even just that immediate postpartum stage. Like we could be like well into motherhood and mm-hmm. have to reconcile some of these things. There's a couple of other key tasks that I just like to touch on and whether we sure. spend a lot of time on them or not, that's okay. But another really common one that comes up in this matrescence 
adjustment time, the becoming of a mother, this adjustment, this journey to becoming a mother is confronting our wounds that arise from our own upbringing. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a really common theme that comes up as well. We've yeah. now entered into parenthood and we somehow simultaneously straddle our past with mm-hmm. our future, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I see that a lot. It's very rare that I don't see some bit of someone's past or upbringing coming into this period of time, whether in ways of like attachment trauma or relational issues or, you know, neglect or things that we would consider more severe to other ways that are like, my mom was just working all the time. So she just wasn't there, not because she was mean or bad, but she just wasn't there. Right. So yeah, there's quite a range of experience in the transition. And it's really interesting. What I see quite a bit is that people are absolutely blindsided by this. Totally. It is not something that people talk about like, yeah, when you have a baby, your whole past is going to come up for review. Like nobody's giving you that kind of heads up. I'm exaggerating a bit, not necessarily that your whole past is going to come up, but really specifically when you are a brand new mom and you're holding your baby in your arms, it is very natural to reflect back on your own childhood on how, like, how did my mom deal with this? What happened there? Because, you know, oftentimes we're also looking for like, well, what did she do? Maybe I can do that. Or she didn't do any of this and I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So at first you may be dealing with the surprise of it all that I didn't expect to be thinking back on what kind of mother my mother was. And there's such a wide range of, you know, she was fine or she was good or it was horrible. And so a lot of the time what I see, well, there's so many, I'm trying to pick one track, but it's impossible. (laughs) There's so many iterations of how this impacts people. But, you know, just to give a range of experience, you know, sometimes people will come into therapy and not understand why they feel so anxious. Mm. And I'm going to set aside like birth trauma or any kind of medical issues right now and just set that aside. And let's just say pregnancy and birth were fine. Mm -hmm. But the anxiety is there and present. For some folks, they are just realizing that they've had anxiety this whole time Mm -hmm. prior to pregnancy. But it was that maybe at a functional level or some way that they were, you know, just dealing with life and getting by. But now that this baby is here and the hypervigilance that might have been manageable prior is now way higher or possibly through the roof. So sometimes when we start digging a little bit, there's maybe like, oh, yeah, my, my mom was a really anxious mom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once we start putting pieces together is if people are wanting to find out the why mm-hmm. that they might be realizing things about their own childhood or their own parents that they hadn't put together before. Yeah. So as you said, they're straddling both. And this can, in my experience with clients come with a real grief and loss mm-hmm. because you don't realize that, oh, wait, I was anxious. Oh, wait, I've been an anxious child. Oh, I have all these needs that went unmet. Mm-hmm. And then resentment and grief and all these complicated feelings can arise. And I think that this is such an important point when we're talking about our expectations in motherhood and the reality because our past and these experiences shape our expectations, Mm -hmm. right? Or or our ability to manage our anxiety going into the situation Mm -hmm. or whatever plays so much a part. 
but it is a surprising experience and one that brings up a lot of complex feelings in a time when you expect to be joyful, Mm -hmm. you expect to be happy, to be in this sort of romanticized, you know, fairy tale bonding Mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. For sure. Unfortunately, I think we've all been sold this like greeting card version of what motherhood is going to be like. And it's really short-sighted and not at all as complex as what it actually is. So it's hard to reconcile that you could have all kinds of feelings, sometimes one right after the next. Oh, I love this baby so much. Oh my gosh, I'm so anxious. I don't know what to do with myself. Oh my gosh, does that mean I'm a bad mom? Am I not supposed to have these feelings about my kid? And it can just be sort of like rapidly rolling through. And I think it's set up, frankly, because we've been set up to believe that it's supposed to be this one magical, you know, rainbows and fairies and all this other business that we're just going to be so in love. When we don't feel that way, we blame ourselves. Mm. It's not like we're reflecting and saying like, whoa, society really set me up for this. That is not (laughs) happening in those moments. It's like everyone's doing it and look at me. I can't do it. What's wrong Mm -hmm. with me? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. right. Because I mean, nobody is in anyone's home often enough or for long periods of time enough to see what it's actually like. Mm-hmm. Like you go over to visit a friend or something like that, pre-pandemic, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's putting on their best for the most part. Right. And then maybe after everyone leaves, you fall apart. So it can become secretive. And again, I think there's a lot of shame associated with this when we aren't ourselves feeling like we think we're supposed to feel. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happens a lot. And you had said like we've been sold this. Where does this romanticized idea of motherhood come from, do you think? Like what influences this? Whew. It goes way back, way, way back. I'm right now, actually, I like I want to talk to the the woman that wrote this book, Eleanor Cleghorn, I believe. She's a British author. She wrote a book called Unwell Women. Mm. And the book starts about, you know, women's kind of history, medical history from a Western perspective, primarily American and English for the most part. So it doesn't include all of women's history, but even way, way, way back when, as I was listening to this, I'm like, Ooh, this started like Hippocrates time. Like, I don't even know when that dude was around, but a long time ago, Yeah, this idea that women are basically here for reproduction and that they're let alone their emotional state, but like their medical state doesn't even matter. It's sort of ingrained within some of the medical systems, a lot of the medical systems, but societally as a whole. And that is true, I believe globally, that, you know, women and women's medical and mental health needs are often minimized, mm-hmm. reduced, set aside. It's like sort of like hysterical,ized oh sort of like, oh, she's just, yes. right? She's just hormonal. She's hysterical. Mm-hmm. She's overly sensitive. She's whatever. And it's minimized in this oh, way. For sure. That is like highly touched upon in this book. Oh my gosh, there's so much history around just that term. Exactly. It's a big deal. So it's not modern history that has set us up, but there are things in current modern times that perpetuate it. Mm. Some of that is social media, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. being able to only see like a very small sliver of someone's life and experience. And then us in our homes alone, like messy bun, you know, whatever, like house a mess Mm -hmm. and 
comparing our worst feeling selves to someone else's Instagram perfect self. Right. Again, it's not something that you can sit there and be thinking specifically like, oh, I am witnessing someone else's best. And this isn't a whole picture of what their life is like. But what you feel in that moment is like, this is what my life is like. And it doesn't look like that. Mm -hmm. So that's one way in which it manifests with sort of more modern stuff. But we get messages all the time, all the time through TV, through our physicians, through family members that, oh, you should be happy. You just had a baby. And it can be innocent enough, Mm -hmm. people wanting us to be happy. But the interpretation, if you are yourself internally feeling overwhelmed and like you don't have yourself together and you're exhausted and someone tells you you should be happy, the interpretation of that internally is I'm doing something wrong. There's something wrong with me that I'm not feeling, behaving, acting like everybody thinks I should. Yeah. So however innocent it is, certainly it's not malicious from other people, but if you are feeling horrible, comments like that just feel horrible. Or something along the lines of, well, you should be grateful or other Mm. people have it worse or, you know, this Uh. person went through miscarriage or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, while I think friends and family members are trying to alleviate pain because like, you know, we have a hard time sitting with other people's discomfort and stuff like that. And and it's Mm -hmm. trying to find a solution. It's not helpful because me expressing that I'm struggling in motherhood is not me expressing I'm ungrateful for motherhood. Like those are two different right. things, right? 1000%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I fully agree with you. It gets misinterpreted by a lot of people Yeah, that like, because we're not allowed to have bad feelings Yeah, because of all of this history. Then if we're expressing that things don't feel right, it's misinterpreted. Because unfortunately, other people don't have the information. Just like we didn't have the info when like, when we were going through it, other people certainly don't. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, side note, which is why it's so important to have these conversations to just like, you know, share this with anybody you know. Because most people are still under the assumption that motherhood is magical. Right. And to struggle and have negative feelings doesn't mean you're ungrateful. Right. To struggle... And even resent the role and the care tasks mm-hmm. of motherhood some days is not equivalent to you not loving your child or not right. wanting your child. We can experience these negative feelings about the tasks and the role mm-hmm. of motherhood mm-hmm. and still love being a mom to our littles. Like th- they can be mm-hmm. different things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, It's much more complex than it's given credit for being. It can be everything at once. Yeah. And that's normal. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments. It's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. 
The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's zocdoccom slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. So let's take the track of like a new mom. I am a new mom who has, you know, been following all of these influencers with these adorable little baby bumps that have their hair and makeup done every day that show their babies in like cohesive matching outfits. And it just all looks like beautiful and glamorous and loving and nurturing and all of these things we're supposed to quote unquote embody as a mother. And then I get into the role and I feel ragey and I feel irritable and I'm like, whoa, this is not, Mm -hmm. this is not what I expected. Mm -hmm. What do we start to do with that now? Like if, if someone's listening and they're like, okay, I hand up, I agree. This is not, I, I didn't know what I was signing up for, right? Like right, duped. Right. I, I felt a little blindsided. <laughs> How do we begin to reconcile that gap now? Well, um, if somebody is in a space with a new ish born or newborn and they're feeling ragey, I would personally, just from a therapeutic perspective, would want to ask a lot of questions about how they are doing. 
this would be assuming that they are, you know, sitting with me in therapy. Mm -hmm. But for people who maybe aren't in therapy yet or considering it, there's a lot of things I would first suggest to do to reduce the amount of stimulation and information being taken in. Mm -hmm. So I would say like, just limit Instagram for now. Yeah. Like first let's stop the bleeding. Yes. Let's limit Instagram or maybe those specific accounts or curate your accounts that you are looking at that are the ones that are more supportive of what your reality is. So that even if you're having a moment of like, okay, yeah, this is hard and I'm accepting this and I'm being kind and gentle with myself that you're not pulled so quickly back into it. If you see that picture, perfect, whatever. So uh, yeah, just pull back and make your environment conducive to your wellness and your healing, Mm. whatever that might look like for you. Obviously I'm biased. I want everyone in therapy all the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's very helpful for working through these kinds of issues. But so once you can kind of step back and make sure that you're not being triggered or your insecurities being played on all the time, I mean, play Candy Crush all day or play whatever, like a game on your phone. If you need that escape with your phone, fine, whatever. But try to not have it be that. Mm -hmm. Something that just triggers or spirals you more, right? Yeah, right. Find something neutral. And there's totally been times when, like in my postpartum, I have three young boys. I had three, three and under. And there were days where I would be sitting there covered in spit up, like a total disaster of a house, Mm -hmm. you know, needed a shower and would scroll through somebody's like happy postpartum experience Mm -hmm. and just be like, I cannot, like for my mental health, I cannot friend or not mute you, do what I have to do because like I'm in survival mode right now. I cannot Mm -hmm. put this additional pressure on myself when I'm just literally trying to make it until my husband comes home from work, like that type of in it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think Mm -hmm. that there are times and seasons that maybe you will want to look at how you organize your child's playroom down the road when you're not in how you're feeling right now. Right. But maybe right now is just not that time to just, you know, Mm -hmm. add to that criticism or feel even more or less than when you're already trying to just keep your head above water. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and it's hard to know sometimes even when you're feeling that bad, but some clues might be that just like you're saying, when you see, you know, Joanna on Instagram and she's, you know, all of her kids are clean and fed with like vegetables all day. Right. Maybe, maybe it's not, you just pull back from that for a little bit. It doesn't have to be a forever, but just a for now, which ultimately is what this transition is Yeah, into motherhood. It's a for now. And it can often feel, especially if you're in the depths of depression or anxiety, I can feel like forever. Mm-hmm. Especially in a first time experience as a first time mom, yeah. when you don't know how things can move rapidly through stages. I think mm-hmm. I really felt that trappedness as mm-hmm. a first time mom, mm-hmm. feeling like, is this what I signed up for? Is this what it's right. going to be forever? Right. Like, right. where's the return button? Where's the like undo? <laughs> yeah. Like, what have uh-huh. I done? Right. Yeah. And then absolutely. it moves through that stage. I'm like, okay, there's a pocket of like breath here. Right. And it might get hard again, or there might be other moments, but there is some ease or there is some air that comes through in little pockets. Absolutely. And through that time, I mean, if you are in this developmental process, 
of matrescence and transition into motherhood, you are developing your identity as a mother. Yeah. So if you are also seeing that, let's say Joanna again, that's her identity as a mother is that everyone's in matching PJs and whatever, you might feel like that is supposed to be yours too. Mm. But what, what if that's not what you ever wanted? What if that's not how your family works? What if that is like, actually, I hate matching pajamas. Right. <laughs> or what, whatever it is, yeah. it's really hard to get in and figure out what your voice is as a mother if you're being pulled in every direction while you feel horrible. Yeah. I don't think that we could have this conversation without talking about this piece, this identity mm-hmm. piece, because mm-hmm. we're finding out what our parenting values are during this time. Yeah. And what we expected our values to be, like, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom because my mom was a stay-at-home mom. She wasn't. That's not my experience. But like, right. if that was, mm-hmm. and then I get in and I'm like, actually, I don't, I don't like being a stay-at-home mom. I really like working. Right. And then we have to reconcile these values and pivot. So I think personal and parenting values during this time Mm -hmm. to reconcile that gap or to find a way through this period. Like I think of our values as a compass that guide us in our decision making. Right. Right. And so my maid of honor, my best friend at the time was like very homemaker. She's got three girls. I've got three boys. She will like make pies from scratch and she is a stay-at-home mom and she loves it. Like that is what Mm -hmm. she feels like she's made to do. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of like what my nightmares are made of. It's not me. It's just not what, you know, I envision myself doing or what my, Mm -hmm. you know, where my values lead me. But it doesn't mean her way is right and my way is wrong or vice versa. Absolutely. We value different things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. But there is there is a lot of guilt either way. And to your point too, there can be pressure to feel like you sh- either should be a stay-at-home mom or you should be a, a mom who works outside of the home. Sometimes those expectations that I'm going to love this and then the reality of actually I don't love this. I want to get back to work as soon as possible. Yeah. That can be hard to overcome without guilt. It's really hard to just accept that you feel the way that you feel, Mm. whether good or bad. Well, it's much harder to accept bad feelings, but we judge it if we think we're supposed to feel a different way. Mm. Because I should want to do these things, right? Like we have these expectations. I think Mm -hmm. particularly as women, I should be nurturing. I should be this way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking of one person way, way, way back when that, thought that they might really enjoy the newborn phase and all of that. But turns out that person had a very kind of more of a like a type A type of personality. And that's not true for all type A's, but really thrived on schedules and lists and being able to predict what was going to be happening that day or in the future and thrived in that environment. And because of that thrived in her work environment, well, fast forward to having a newborn where all of that is out the window. Mm-hmm. You can make whatever list you want and maybe one thing will get done in those early, early stages. So it felt incredibly disappointing and unfulfilling. And the feeling and desire was like, I cannot wait to get back to work. Mm. That's where things are predictable. That's where I'm back in touch with what I know how to do with what my identity is. Yeah, I can't remember what type of work it was, but the motherhood journey at that point was not something that was matching up at all with who she was as a person. 
Yeah. And those types of, I guess, mismatches, to say the least, between what you feel like you can do and what you feel like you can't do really makes people anxious Mm -hmm. and sometimes depressed. Mm -hmm. It's super anxiety producing to feel like, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to be able to do this and I want nothing to do with these tasks. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. the quick onset of like, now you have this new thing you're supposed to be and do and be good at when it's not something you've ever had training in. Like you just were handed a new full-time job. That you were never trained for. (laughs) You were never trained for. There is no manual. You know, yes, certainly there's some parenting books, but most of them like contradict each other in terms of like, what's the right thing to do? Yes. There's 5 billion ways to do the right thing. But we feel like, because we can't figure this out right away, that we are inadequate. And that's when things get really messy in terms of motherhood identity. Mm. When you feel inadequate, when you feel like you're not doing a good job, it can feel very much like, maybe I'm not supposed to do this at all. Mm -hmm. Like this is, I'm not cut out for this at all. Okay, maybe that's true. That is true for some people. But for other folks, it can be just that this process of becoming a parent is going to take some time. Yeah, it doesn't happen right away. And if we can give ourselves, going back to kind of what you were speaking to before about like, you know, the mom at home with rage, if we can give ourselves the leeway and the permission to not know and to be a learner, to be a beginner at this, it really makes things easier because you are swimming upstream if you feel like you're supposed to know everything right away. But that is one of the myths that we're told, right? Mm-hmm. You have this baby and you're in love and you know exactly what to do. Your motherhood instinct kicks in and like magically as though like via osmosis, <laughs> like just, uh, yeah. you know, granted upon you. Nothing happens that way. Zero. No. Nothing in the whole world happens like that. Well, and you touched on something so important. And I know Brene Brown has a whole episode dedicated to like doing things for the first time and being a beginner at something. Mm -hmm. I was reading an article and I can't think of where I was reading it, but I was talking about the different personality types and traits that are more prone to postpartum depression and anxiety, like perfectionism, neuroticism, like this type A personality. There are certain ones that are more prone to this, maybe, and I'll speak from my own experience as a recovering perfectionist myself, Mm -hmm. feeling like I am new at something. There's nothing that makes my skin crawl more than feeling under-trained, under-prepared, under, you know. And so going into motherhood thinking, oh, like everything is just going to click into place. And I'm like, frivolously like Googling what is the best whatever to get or buy or reading all of the reviews and doing mm-hmm. all the things and really feeling like there's got to be a right way and there is no right way and all of that. Right. That gap is so large when we think that it has to be this way. And the more rigidity that is around those beliefs, mm-hmm. the harder it is to move through that adjustment and transition. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. The more flexible you can be during this time to allow yourself to not know and to allow yourself to figure things out, the the easier it gets. But if that is something you're now also trying to learn for the very first time, well, you have somebody like pooping all over you. (laughs) Right. I mean, how it's it's going to be a slow process. Yeah, it's going to be slow. It's very very difficult. 
Yeah. Well, and I think and enter the concept of self-compassion, I think, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so like how when we're stumbling our way through, we found ourselves thrown onto this job, literally Mm -hmm. no training. I don't have a master's degree in how to care for this (laughs) human being, you know, like, and even then first day on the job after seven years of school, and I still don't know what I'm doing, you know, (laughs) to now we're thrown into taking care of this human with no preparation. Mm -hmm. How can we be compassionate with ourselves during this time? Yeah. um, Also, that is a, a muscle that requires practice to build you might not even know that you're not being compassionate with yourself until you feel horrible. Yeah. But if, if you're hearing this before you're entering into, it could start as soon as pregnancy or even prior, but trying to get pregnant. But when you have another human who's relying on you, you don't have a whole lot of time to self-reflect. Although even though they sleep quite a bit when they're little, you're also very tired and not at your like most optimal capacity to think. Right. And you're quite foggy yeah. and tired uh-huh. and yeah. Right. So compassion can start with just acknowledging those facts. Like mm-hmm. what is, what is my current actual context? I'm exhausted. I haven't showered yet today. I'm trying to figure out nursing or I'm trying to figure out how to feed by bottle or what, whatever it is, sometimes just naming the things that you are trying to figure out and realizing that this is new for you, recognizing that it's new for you can be part of the gentleness that you can bring to yourself. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, I should know how to do this. If you hear any shoulds, any could have, would have, all of that stuff, that can be a signal to you that the judgment has begun or maybe is already well underway. Mm-hmm. If that's all you can grab onto in those moments that, okay, I just, that was a should. What did I say I should, was supposed to be able to do or supposed to be able to do? That's a big one. Yeah. Anything like that can be a tip off. They're like, hmm, maybe that's not accurate or maybe that's not a really compassionate way. And for folks who have a harder time noticing for themselves that they are maybe having that self-judgment coming through, what would you say to somebody that you love and care about in this moment? So if you can't generate it for yourself, what would you say to somebody else that you love and care about? Mm -hmm. And that can be a really powerful way to say, I would tell my friend that it's fine. She'll figure it out. Or, you know, it's, it's okay that she doesn't know and that she can ask me for help and so on and so forth. And I'm going to get ahead of somebody right now before they say, yeah, that's fine for everybody else, but it's not fine for me. Mm. I'm just going to call you out right now Mm -hmm. and get ahead of that because I know a lot of people do that. And, you know, why? Why is it okay for everybody else, but not for you? And that might be connected to the perfectionism and the myths and all these things that we've been talking about up to this point. Right. I think about the shoulds that came up. Mm-hmm. especially as a first-time mom, that kept me very, almost like gatekeeping, like kept me very isolated in my role. Like I should be the one to wake up at night because I'm nursing right, right. and I should be the one that knows how to soothe my baby when they're crying and I should be the one that does this and does that. And these shoulds became like this like suffocating cage almost, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I have a partner who is ready and willing and capable And now does majority of the nighttime wake-ups, thank God, because I am (laughs) brutal on no sleep, you know? But 
even though I had the supportive person in my life who wanted to offer and extend help to me, I shouldered it all myself because of these shoulds. Mm -hmm. And these shoulds become our, I don't know, like a cage is the only way that I can think about it. They keep us trapped in this experience. And then when I talk about the invisible load and the mental load, which is something I speak on often, how can we learn to share in the invisible load with our partners when we're subscribed to these shoulds in our head, you Mm -hmm. know? So like Mm -hmm. you said, just an awareness, just even paying attention to when you're saying like, I should be doing this and I'm not doing it. Like, Mm -hmm. why can someone else take that should? Why do we need (laughs) to do it? Can this be delegated? Is there help for this? Is this even necessary? Where does this come from? Just that curiosity around those shoulds. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, And I I think you're a hundred percent right. What becomes really, really difficult too during this period of time, during that like lack of sleep period of time is our thinking becomes more default because we don't have a lot of um, like resources, much capacity. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So we might revert back to what our, you know, old ways of being or what's easiest or it can feel too hard to ask for what you need. So I'll just do it myself. It can get kind of complex in those moments, even though it's kind of, um, it's like a shorthand you're using your shorthand. Like I, I should just do this because it's easier and anything else beyond that is too difficult. So it's hard to think through that and realize that it's okay to ask other people for help. This is one of the ways I think, uh, planning for postpartum Mm -hmm. is really valuable Mm -hmm. so that you and your partner or you and your family member, whoever's going to be supporting you during this time can work out a little bit of a plan on how to deal with potential difficulties. Like if you know, and this is true for me too, if I don't get much sleep, I am horrible. Yeah, I'm grumpy. I am rude. (laughs) You know, I'm just uh, quick to snap. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you can plan a little bit ahead of time to say like, ooh, this might happen if I'm sleep deprived, how are we going to handle that? Or what things can you do as a partner that can be supportive so that when I'm exhausted, I don't have to ask you to help me with this. You might just know because we've already talked about it. Mm -hmm. Some of this can help. And postpartum planning is a whole other conversation. Yeah. But just in terms of getting through those really difficult moments when you're sleep deprived and all of those shoulds are showing up, talking to your partner or your support person when you're not as in, in that state, as much in that state, even during postpartum mm-hmm. can be helpful. So in talking about this, like a preparation for postpartum and a sleep plan and even things for like how we're going to feed ourselves during this time. Like you said, we lose all the basics, don't we, during this time. And so we actually have something. It's a 20-page resource. It's free. It's called a postpartum prep list. It takes you through worksheets on how, like, who you can ask for help and who's there for day support or night support or Mm -hmm. things like that. And it also includes, like, warning signs for postpartum depression, talks about some intrusive thoughts, postpartum. So that can be linked in our show notes. It's at happyasamother.co slash prep list for anybody who might be looking to do some of that preemptive work. But yeah, I think that it is a time that requires grace. We're in survival mode mm-hmm. and it's a time to flex and relax on our expectations of ourselves. not a time to increase the bar or feel that we have to do things perfectly. So yeah. coming in to this 
adjustment time, trying to be kind of flexible with ourselves is so important. You unpack so many of these things in your podcast, on your Instagram. You have <laughs> such great conversations to support moms and parents during this time. Where are you hanging out online? Where can people find you? Yeah, I do spend some time on Instagram at Mom in Mind, and everything that I do is perinatal mental health focused. So, mental health related to fertility, pregnancy loss, postpartum, and very early parenthood. So, that's what a lot of the content is geared towards with the goal to really just keep pumping out as much information as possible to help reduce the stress load during this time of transition into motherhood and parenthood while acknowledging the stigma that is out there Mm. so that we don't have to carry around this much shame. And to that end, the Mom in Mind podcast is, again, geared towards perinatal mental health specifically. Yeah, We've covered quite a bit. Everything from perinatal mood and anxiety disorders to attachment and bonding to sleep to you name it. Although I'm not quite finished getting to every single topic because there are so many. I think we're up to 216 episodes or something. Like what a library of a resource for new parents. That's amazing. Thanks. I'm glad to say that like my passion that was lit for this however many years ago is still burning brightly and continues to grow. It's my primary focus in my clinical work, in my advocacy work, in my work on the Board of Postpartum Support International. So the podcast is a big arm of that, as well as my clinical practice in California, And again, the PSI board work to support that organization and a book that I wrote around pregnancy anxiety specifically. Yes. So it's a workbook. Is that correct? It is a workbook. Yeah. And it is geared towards in part people who are considering pregnancy and dealing with anxiety and people who are in pregnancy and dealing with anxiety. There's a bit also on postpartum and a little bit on partners as well. But it's a workbook. It has skills and tools and things that people can use right away to help manage their stress and have as close to the experiences they'd like to have. Yeah, such a valuable resource because I think that there is more light being brought to the postpartum experience because we're in the crisis and it's a big thing. But there are parents who are struggling from their infertility journey, Mm -hmm. like, you know, from even pre-pregnancy through pregnancy and not having the language for their experience. So yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. We're going to link all of that in the show notes and people can click through and find your work, find you online. Thank you for being here with us today and taking the time. And thank you for, you know, just the work that you're doing in this field. We share such a similar passion and the more of us, you know, out there supporting parents, the better. So thank you for that work that you're doing. Yeah, same to you. And thanks for having me on. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.
settling is not an option for everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.